I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simi. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be reacting to some of the fallout from the latest fans forum. We'll also be taking some of your thoughts and questions from the live chat box and we'll be going wherever else the conversation takes us. A big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Um, lots of you... Um, Commenting on my punctuality, Mahmoud says the one time I'm on time and he's late, shaking my head, even with the five minute leeway. Oh, come on, Mahmoud. I was late by about 30 seconds, man. Chill out. <laughs> um, let's see what else we've got. Um, Owen is in the chat. He says, I'm so much more understanding when someone's late, when I know they have kids. If this was Canton, I'd be losing it. <laughs> Oh man, good stuff. And yeah, look, I can't blame the kids this time. Um, I, I've done my best to stay as far away from them today as possible because I've just had a really busy, tiring day. And, and I had a really busy and tiring day yesterday. And you know, just sometimes you just you just can't face it. Um, you know, dads, you will feel my pain. Sometimes you just can't face it. It's been one of those days where I I had to make a reason to leave the house. Um when I didn't really need one because I was working from home today um, just to kind of get that bit of a breather. And uh, and that's exactly what I did. I went and sat around my grandparents' house for an hour in the middle of the day, had uh, some wonderful service from my uh, grandmama, God bless her, and, um, and just chilled because it's quiet there. There's no TV on, there's no radio on, nobody's shouting, nobody's talking. It's just peaceful. And sometimes you need that. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's get into it then. We've got lots and lots to discuss. We're going to be talking uh, about the fans forum. Of course, we'll be talking about Josh Kroenke's comments, which include updates on sort of self, uh, I was going to say self-standing. I think we are self-standing, um, but safe standing. We're going to be talking about the new kit. We're going to be talking about the plans for the summer. Uh, some updates on the season ticket stuff, which is going to be interesting as well. There's lots and lots to get into, and I want to get into all of that. But before I do that, um, I just want to quickly touch on something that we discussed on the last episode, which was with regards to Thierry Omri's comments, Ari William Saliba. I do not understand why people cannot, when you're critical of something that Thierry Omri says, or you highlight that you disagree with something Thierry Omri says, why people can't get their heads around the fact that Thierry Omri, the pundit, is not Thierry Omri, the player. I, I just don't get that. Because every time we talk about Thierry Omri or any other ex-player who achieved wonderful things at the football club and even disagree with them slightly, you get all these people on Twitter and, and in your comment section going, oh my God, how could you disrespect the legend? It's not disrespect to disagree with someone. You disagree, you disagree. Simple as that. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got up. Samson says, first time I'm watching you live, I always watch recorded ones and I was about to give up and wait for the recorded one. What? Based on a minute. Um, look, I've said it a million and one times of late, but I'll say it again for those that need to hear it. If we schedule a stream at 4.55, we're kicking off at 5. If we schedule a stream at 7.55, we're kicking off at 8. If we do it at 12.25, it's going to be 12.30. It's always five minutes before. And the reason for that is because so many of you tell me that you don't get the notifications when I go live. 
And so I want to give you guys the chance uh, to get in and um, and be here in the live chat. So uh, that's the real reason. Okay, let's um, let's dive in then to the fans forum in which a number of subjects were discussed. Now, there's a few threads on Twitter, Red Action, Peter Host, um, discussing uh, what was said yesterday. Um, the meeting was held at Highbury House with a, a few people in attendance. And of course, Josh Cronkey was attending online. Just go through some of the comments uh, that Josh made uh, via um, this particular Twitter feed. Let me just bring it up on the screen for those of you that are watching the video. Uh, so Josh said, it's been a roller coaster of a season. I say that with a smile on my face to think back to where we were. After three matches, Mikel and the team have done an amazing job stabilising the ship. I want to thank you guys for sticking with us through the ups and downs. He goes on to talk about the support, both home and away, and how it's been unbelievable. Uh, and he says that he can feel and hear a whole new level of connection, and that's going on around the club, and it makes a real difference. He then went on to talk about plans to strengthen the squad. He said, we've got plans in place to continue strengthening the squad. Now having the match day revenue and having fans back in the stadium has been great. We continue to provide whatever support we can for Mikel and continue to push the squad forward to achieve our goals. He also talks about the women's team. He says it's really exciting to see the women's team coming along as well. Arsenal continue to be at the forefront of that. It's great to see our team pushing for the league title. And he says that we're investing in new buildings for the women's team and more matches going forward will be played at Emirates Stadium. Um, Vinay Venkateshim also spoke at the event and he said the one constant this season is that support from the fans has been amazing. Before the season, Mikel and I talked about how we can get that connection with our fans back and it feels really strong at the moment. And I agree with that. He says, given how much change happened last summer and given the age profile of the squad, the reality is with four games to go, we're a little bit ahead of where we expected we would be. We're still behind where we want to be. And that's, of course, competing to win the biggest trophies in the game. So Vinay Venkateshim acknowledging that, you know, this is not the end. This is not where Arsenal want to be. Arsenal don't want to be sitting sort of in fourth place. That's not the end goal. That's not the ambition here. The ambition here is to go as far as we possibly can. But making the point that when the club sat down and mapped all of this out and planned where they thought Arsenal would be, come the end of the season, they didn't have being in fourth place with four games to go in mind. And, and I think that's fair. I think a lot of people will agree with that. Um, he went on to talk a little bit about Jonas Eideveld and, and how he's uh, settled in the women's team and how he's been uh, sort of a breath of fresh air. He talked about uh, strengthening the relationship as well with ex-players. He said that quite a few have been to London Colney to talk to our players and we're super proud of the community work we do like Wear No Red, we also continue to help local businesses and they keep putting out those incredible um, videos, don't they, with local businesses to give them that bit of promotion. Um, he says, we continue the programme on investing in the stadium. We're on track to replace the big screens and the work on the roof has begun, but we're also working on how to speed up access to the stadium, uh, which is interesting. We'll come on to talk a little bit about the stadium in a minute when we come to the safe standard bit um, because I've I've got some opinions on that that I'd quite like to share. Um, he was also asked about the um, the All or Nothing Amazon documentary, which is currently being filmed at the moment. Apparently, it's going to be eight episodes. Uh, and Vinay said that 
there will be eight episodes of the Arsenal All or Nothing series. And he said that he's seen four of them and it's really good. It's going to be a real look behind the scenes. Um, he says, we're looking, we're working on clarification on what happens um, at the FF and what happens on the advisory board. I'm not sure what that bit's in relation to. I'm guessing the fans forum um, and the advisory board, but forget that bit that I've added into the sentence. It it didn't belong there. Um, Apparently the most heated part of the meeting was, um, was the pushback around the partnerships with socios and Rwanda. Um, Peter says that the discussions around these were the most heated part of the meeting. Um, And he says that Josh left the meeting early, but he did spend an hour with the fans as there was a game with his hockey team. Uh, They also went on to talk about some new bits and pieces with regards to the season tickets. Now, I really like this because I know a lot of people, a hell of a lot of people, in fact, that are Arsenal season ticket holders who just don't attend, who on the day of the game will go, I can't be bothered. I'm not going to bother today. I'm going to sit at home and watch it on TV. Oh, I didn't realise this one was on TV, so I'm going to stay home and watch it. And that drives me absolutely mental. Look, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. But there are tons and tons of people that do want to go and tons and tons of people that could benefit from picking up those tickets on the exchange or whatever. Um, you know, I've had a couple of games this season. I think I've had. No, I think I've had one home game this season that I couldn't attend because of work. You know, I had a work commitment um, and I ended up having to cover the game from a studio so I couldn't go to the game. Um, and, you know. I know not everybody's in a position where they can do this and I, and I accept that and, and I understand that. So if you can't, then go ahead and use, um, you know, use the ticket exchange system, get your money back, do whatever it is that you got to do. But in my case, you know, I didn't want to leave the ticket empty. I gave it to a relative and said, go along, enjoy yourself like that. That's, you know, and if you're not going to go anyway and your money's going up the wall anyway, then you might as well let somebody go. You might as well let somebody go and enjoy themselves and have that experience. I've never understood the notion of having a season ticket and opting not to go without making any effort whatsoever to try and find somebody to take it and to try and find somebody to take it on and go. It doesn't make sense to me. So I really like this bit. Um, Peter reported that from next season, you won't be able to renew your season ticket unless you've attended more than 10 games or used the ticket exchange, ticket transfer or ticket donate, which is a new feature that's coming soon. Um, and I think that's that's spot on. I like that. But I think you should need to attend more than 10 games. Um, I mean, I guess if you're only in the Premier League, what have you got? 19 home games. That's just over half of them i would up that i would make it that you got to do 15 if it were me um but obviously the club don't want to go down that route uh but of course if you use the ticket exchange even if it's not sold on the ticket exchange then um you know then then that's not your fault right it's the club's prerogative to then go on and sell the ticket but um you know if you um if you at least make the effort, then that will count as you attending. So I think that that's something that I welcome. I'd really like to see that because the whole empty seats thing, it does irritate me, particularly when there's so many people, um, you know, that, that want to come. Um, there was a bit about the Pybury corner, but I don't really know what that is about. So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to get too into that because I don't, um, 
you know, I don't, um, I don't really know what that is. Um, some of you are asking about, wasn't it missed 10 games a season on that bit? Um, no, I thought it was that you had to attend 10 and I'm going by what Peter said. Hold on. Let's, um, is there anywhere else that we can clarify this? I think Ask Blog News done a piece on this, did they? Uh, hold on a second, because I, I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys the right information. But I thought it was that if you attended less than 10 games, then you weren't allowed to renew it. I thought that made sense. Anyone else in the chat um, know anything about that? Hold on, let's have a look. Let's just quickly scroll through this piece and see if that is indeed the case. Uh, talking about the socio scheme. I can't find it right now, but let me know in the chat. Um, hold on. So Peter says, now you're confusing me now. You guys are confusing me now. From next season, you cannot renew your season ticket unless you have attended more than 10 games. But I have heard from other people, um, and, and I think Tom Canton was speaking about this earlier, that if you miss 10 games, you can't renew it. Either way, whatever way it is, and I thought it was the other way. Then I've read Peter's, and I think it's the other way, and now I'm confused. So I will check that out um, and bring you some clarification on that. But regardless, you have to attend the bloody games. That's the point here, right? That's the point that you can't be just leaving your season ticket unused um, and allowing people, um, you know, I beg your pardon, allowing the ticket to go unused and then empty seats whilst other people are desperate to go and don't get the opportunity as a result. So, yeah, um, that's uh, that's interesting. It's something I welcome. Uh, they also talk about the fact that there's 100,000 people still on the season ticket waiting list. That's incredible. Um, other points were around uh, the song uh, Angel by Louis Dunford. Um, is that going to be played around the stadium? Is that going to be our anthem? Um, and it, and Peter Host asked that. And, uh, and the response was, we're very aware of the song. After some discussion, it seemed agreed. It's I beg your pardon. It seemed like most agreed that a song has to grow organically, but maybe it will be played after the Everton game. Yeah, that, look, I've said this as well. Okay, I, I've said this on numerous occasions. Like while I quite like the song, and I quite enjoy it, and I think it would be a nice touch. It's not something that we're going to go bang. That's our new anthem. We're going to belt it out at every game in every stadium. It doesn't work like that. Things like this, they have to, you know, they have to develop. They have to grow. They have to ingrain themselves in the culture. And then they will become a thing. Like, you know, Liverpool fans didn't just wake up one day and go, oh, let's sing You'll Never Walk Alone. And that was that. You know, equally, West Ham fans didn't just go, bang, I'm forever blowing bubbles. And that was that. These things, they take time uh, to catch on. And they take time to become recognisable or synonymous or connected to your football club. So, yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> Owen's put a, a question in that uh, I can't read out on the show. But uh, if you're in the chat box, check it out. You'll have a good laugh. Uh, okay. So those are some of the updates. Um, we also heard that the kit, the new home kit, is going to be launched Um a little bit later on this month in around about a couple of weeks time, uh, which was interested. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, safe standing in the stadium and a couple of other bits on the stadium as well. Now, safe standing, I'm all for it. I really, really am, because particularly in certain areas of the Emirates Stadium, we stand anyway. And actually, why not make it safer for us to do so? Why not 
facilitate the fact that we do it anyway and that nobody bothers trying to stop us anymore because there's just simply too many people that do it and yeah why not um why not go out and and make sure that it's it's um it's much more comfortable now i've been recently to both stanford bridge and the london stadium both times we were situated in areas of the stadium where safe standing is being trialed and both times i actually find it found it quite nice to have that bar in front of me to be able to lean forward on if you're not going to sit which i don't at the emirates then i lean back so i'm standing sort of with my arms folded and i lean back on my seat if i am not then you know i don't mind leaning forward and resting on the bar so either way it gives you a bit of support a bit of comfort whether that's forward or backwards whatever it's up to you but having those bars obviously gives us um, the ability to do that and the ability to do that more comfortably. So listen, I'm all for it, seeing as we do it anyway. I do think standing atmospheres are better. Um, I think that's why you get a better atmosphere in certain parts of Emirates Stadium than you do in others. It's part of it. And uh, and for me, I'm all for it. The other thing about the replacement of the screens, I've seen, I think we've seen a couple of, um, we've seen a couple of issues uh, on the screens this season. One was blacked out one game. Uh, one of the home games, I can't remember who it was against, but that screen wasn't working, which was a nightmare. Uh, sometimes you see a breakup in the display. So I think that needs to be done. And Arsenal obviously working on that. Um, with regards to like the, the decoration of the stadium outside. Now, we know that the old sort of um, images that they have and, and stuff around the stadium are going to be replaced because they're a bit washed out and they look like they've had better days, basically. Um, I, I was thinking about this, like what I'd like to see go up there. And I, if it were me, now I know that this would be a much bigger investment and cost a hell of a lot more money and probably isn't going to happen as a result of that. I'd chuck screens up there. I really, really would, because I feel like if you put screens up there, you could constantly change what you put there. You can constantly change what you're showing there. You could even sell off um, you know, sponsorship against whatever it is that you're putting up there as well and bring in more revenue for the football club and bring in more revenue in order to see us increase our spend and hopefully um, go on and be more competitive in the market. So there's lots and lots of things you can do, but obviously putting those screens there is a bigger investment. Will they recuperate that investment quick enough in terms of advertising revenue? Do they think that's possible? Do they think that's doable? Um you know, that that is down to the experts, not me. But it was just a thought that crossed my mind. I'd love to see the seats just resprayed. Um, it's a pain in the ass looking at the stadium now. And and I only really look, I you notice it when you go to the games, of course. But a few weeks ago, um, I was filming at the Emirates Stadium with Premier League. And I was in the ground, in an empty ground, the day before the Manchester United game, just trying to see if I've got a picture that I can share with you guys. And um, and there it really dawned on me how bad it is and how the, the colours vary in different parts of the stadium. It just looks cheap and just looks shit. Um, you know, so in my opinion, you got to do something. you got to take some pride in the appearance of our stadium. You know, we're a, a huge um, and great football club and you've got to, I think you've got to take pride in your stadium. I really, really do. So I want to see the seats changed. Um, not changed, sorry, but just repainted, resprayed, whatever it is they do to them, um, just to kind of make the stadium look lush again. Because as I say, when you're in there and it's completely empty, you really do notice it. And it was a really sunny day that day. And I really 
sort of it really caught my eye and caught my attention. So I'd like to see something done um, there. Talked about the plans uh, to improve the squad in the summer. And, and Josh mentioned as well, I can't remember if it was Josh or Vin, I think it was Josh mentioned that there's a lot more sort of investment going into the women's team. And I'm all for that as well. Um, that's really, really great news as the women's game continues to build. Um, then then why not? You know, it's um, it's something I'm I'm well in favour of. But in terms of going back to the building of the first team senior men's squad, what does that look like? Well, Arsenal aren't going to commit, are they? And a lot of people say this in the chat, and I've seen it in the chat now. Uh, somebody saying, well, why don't we uh, know what the budget is going to be? Because the minute you start talking about budgets and the minute you start being that open about your business, you're just asking for trouble. You're asking for clubs to up their prices when you go after their players. You're asking for clubs to say, well, we know you've got a war chest, as people like to call it, of £150 million. Um, so, you know, we want £75 million for this player. Like, And it just drives me mad that... I don't want to see too much of our dirty laundry publicly aired. And and I always think there's a fine balance to find here because as fans, we want to know as much as possible. We're in a day and age where football fans, I'm not going to say are educated more than ever because I think that there are a lot of shit takes out there and and a lot of that is a consequence of there being sometimes too many inf too much information around and some of that is wrong information and that can spread like wildfire uh due to the the nature of social media and stuff so i'm not going to say we as football fans are more educated than we've ever been but we certainly have more access to more information and we certainly have more access um you know to to reports and rumors and stuff than we've ever had before i mean i remember when i was a kid you know, I used to wait for my dad to get home from work and he'd put teletext on and look at the football headlines. And we'd hope that there was something Arsenal related that we could look at and read and have a good um, sort of chat about afterwards. But that was it. Now you can pick up your phone. It's all at your fingertips. A lot of it is clickbait nonsense. A lot of it is driven, um, you know, or is designed, sorry, to drive clicks and drive people to it. And unfortunately, a lot of it is... Um, it is nonsense and it's a very, very different age. So, yeah, um, you know, sometimes when you're running a business, when you're running a company, when you've got a family, like whatever it is, in whatever walk of life, there's some stuff that's better kept within the parameters that it should be. And Arsenal's exact amount that they can spend in the transfer window or exact transfer budget. I don't even believe necessarily that there are transfer budgets per se. Like, I don't think that a club says to a manager at the start of the season, you can spend this amount of money. I think there'll be a, an amount that they can't exceed and they will decide whether those deals that are brought to the table, the deals of the offers that present themselves are worthwhile on an individual basis. I really do believe that. I think there'll be a limit, obviously, but I don't think it's as simple as here's £120 million for this summer, this summer only, in isolation. And it doesn't matter... Um, if you spend all of it, it doesn't matter if you spend half of it. Like, no, I, I don't think it works like that. I don't think it's that black and white. This is something that football manager has, like, driven into people's minds. It, 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 it just doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. So I'm, I'm actually quite happy and OK with Arsenal not being so transparent on that. They shouldn't be. They don't need to be. They don't owe us that, um, I don't think, anyway. So, yeah, I guess 
sort of those are the key topics. As I say, I'm all for safe standing. I like the thing around season tickets, whether it's, um, you know, you you can't miss more than 10 or you have to attend more than 10, whatever way around it is. Um, I really, really like that. Um, you know, I think that's a good thing. It's a good initiative. I think it will encourage those to that don't attend to either attend or to make sure that their ticket gets passed on most of the time, at least to someone that does want to go. So I'm all for that, as I say. Um, in terms of the connection between the club and the fans, I do think it's building. Listen, the Cronkies still ain't, ain't out of the water with me. Like they, there's still a lot that they've done in the past that they need to repair. And there's still a lot that, um, you know, I disagree with. I, I really lost a lot of trust in them with the whole Super League thing. On the one hand, I understood why if everybody else was doing it, they felt that they need to needed to from a monetary perspective. I do get that. But they were part of the discussions and they were part of a group of people that tried to sell the soul of our football clubs. And so for that reason, you can't 100% be, you know, all aboard and and 100% believe everything they say or or be, you know, a massive fan or lover of them. But you can accept, I think, that right now, particularly since they took full control of the club, things have changed a little bit. And with the appointment of Mikel Arteta, who seems to be at the driving seat of all of this and seems to be the driving force. Remember, I said to you guys yesterday, if you haven't checked it out, watch um, James Alcott's video with Guillaume Balaguer, in which he talks a lot about Mikel Arteta and him being the driving force. I'd rather have a football man as the driving force than a businessman as the driving force. And that, for me, is really, really important. It's why, for many years, although the end wasn't great, it's why, for many years, Arsene Wenger was so successful, because he was allowed to get on with his vision, which was centred around football and not finance and not business. And then, later on, when we moved stadium and that stuff had to come into it, then things changed. But at this moment in time, I think it's important for us to get back to where we want to be, that we have a focus and an emphasis on the football stuff and the culture stuff and the stuff that we can, you know, control. And um, and I think that Mikel Arteta has done a good job of, of sort of kicking out the bad eggs and, and rebooting us and rebooting us in a in a nice way. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Kroenke's, you've got... You, you still got to convince me. You still got to do more uh, to show me that you are um, keen and desperate to take this club in the right direction. And it doesn't just come down to money spent. It comes down to, um, you know, a point in the right people, making sure that they're held accountable for their job, making sure um, that you, you are there to support a club that, that you are custodians of at this moment in time when it's necessary. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, look, listen, going to take a few of your questions um, from the live chat box. So please do pop a few of them in. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, hit that like button uh, and subscribe to the channel if you're new. Going to take a very, very brief pause. And then I'm going to take some of your questions from the live chat for the last sort of 10 minutes or so. Okay, uh, let's get on with it. Uh, Chris says, Harry, are you from Sparta? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not from Sparta. Uh, I'm from Cyprus. Um, but if you, you know, I know I'm a, a hairy Greek with a, a thick beard 
and um and i look like a bit of spartan with the beard but i can assure you when i remove my t-shirt you will not think i'm from sparta uh i'll look more like i'm from butlins <laughs> uh let's see what else we've got a few of you agree with me on the um on the screens thing on the outside of the stadium um that that would make sense like from a commercial perspective as well it will look modern and it'll make sense from a commercial perspective too i think uh craig tanner says thoughts on the safe standing allocation do you think they'll keep it a one-to-one -one ratio of seat to stand or will they allow further ticket allocation increasing attendance being space dependent now some people have have been tweeting today that actually it's going to see the the um allocation uh i beg your pardon the attendance the, wrong word again the capacity slightly reduced now i don't really know how that works because i think that there's more space when you're standing um and i think that you know often particularly at away games you see people more people bunch into rows than there are seats but i don't know like i don't know how it's going to work right because so at the moment when you go to the stadiums um when you go to the stadiums that are currently trialing it, so as I say, recently I've been to Chelsea and to West Ham, we were both doing it. The seats are still there because it is a trial and they're not going to rip out all of the seats to put the bars in and then decide that the trial failed and then put all the seats back in and remove the bars again. So they've just added the bars. And I'd imagine that if it doesn't go the way they want it and they decide to uh, go back to all seater, then they will take the bars away and it's a much simpler task. So, if the seats are going to be completely gone, then I think the ratio could change. Don't know if it will. I, I don't think there's much clarity on this at this moment in time. There's been a survey sent out to Arsenal members, uh, which you need to fill in if you're interested in this, because I think the more responses they get, the more likely it is that, um, that we're going to get somewhere with it. Uh, so do check that out if you are a member of the club um, and, and do make sure that you respond. I think you've got... Um, a few weeks to get it back to them but yeah it'll be interesting to know it's a good question uh, and one that that i can't answer at, at the moment because i don't know enough about it all uh clock end seb says what's the financial difference between qualifying for the cl and qualifying for the el so as i mentioned on the show earlier in my personal opinion i don't think in terms of what we're going to spend it makes all that much difference i do think that arsenal plan to spend money anyway and and i don't think that being in the champions league is going to make a world of difference in that. What it does do, though, is it opens the doors to players that may have insisted on on Champions League football as a as a clause in in wherever they go next. Um, and I think that the club might use that bump up um, that the Champions League brings you if we do achieve it to kind of stabilise the books a little bit, which have looked a little bit shit um, over the last couple of years. Obviously, with the COVID pandemic and stuff. If, it, if the plan is what the plan is and we're going to spend money anyway, then I'm okay with that um, because I think that whatever you say about the Cronkies and whatever your gripes with them, and of which a lot of people have plenty and fairly, um, and, and sort of that's fair, fair enough. Um, you know, I, I don't think the money thing is really where the issue's at. Like, it isn't for me. I don't, I don't look at them and say, oh, you know, they're tight and they don't spend any money, like in the way that Newcastle fans used to look at Mike Ashley. I just think that we spent money badly and had we had better football people in and around the club at the time to make the right footballing decisions, we could have been a long way down the progression line in comparison to where we are today. So I think bad decisions have cost us not a lack of spending, if that makes sense. Um, so that's my take on the difference between the two. Um, Inter says, does a head of schedule mean there's no pressure 
if the team goes backwards next season. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, I think that when you get back in the Champions League, you want to use that as a springboard to push on. And for me, if we achieve Champions League qualification, my first aim next season will be to achieve Champions League qualification again. Because I think that in order to re-establish ourselves as one of the elite clubs again, we are an elite club, but elite teams again, is that we need to be in the Champions League year in, year out. Now, why I get a little bit sort of aggy when people come at me and say, why are you accepting just a fourth place finish? Is because the competition has increased. Now, you think about when Arsene Wenger was around and you think about when he first came to the club and we were in the Champions League week in, uh, year in, year out. There wasn't all that much competition. You know, it was ourselves and Manchester United and then everybody else would scrap it out for those remaining places. There wasn't really a standout candidate. Liverpool were there quite a bit. Um, Chelsea got there a few times. Um, you know, Tottenham scraped it once or twice a little bit later on. But there wasn't this um, this competition that we have now. Now you're talking about Manchester City want to be there, will be there. Liverpool want to be there, will be there. You're talking about Manchester United who should be there. You're talking about Chelsea who should be there. You're talking about Arsenal who we believe should be there. You're talking about Tottenham who also believe that they should be there. You're talking about potentially Newcastle United as well in the next few years. I don't think they're there now, but they will be aiming for that. And all of a sudden, finishing in, in the top four isn't a given anymore. And it's much more difficult to do. And that's why when people say we were in the Champions League for 20 consecutive years, whatever it was, and now we're not, it's a shambles. Actually, the landscape over that period of time has changed and adjusted and has made it more difficult for us to get into the Champions League. So now being in the top four is a much more ambitious goal than it was 10 years ago. That's the point I keep trying to make and trying to get across. Um, so for me, in order for Arsenal to, to continue in the right trajectory and to continue to develop and to continue pushing forward, I think that we need to be in the Champions League consistently. Now, that isn't an easy target. It's not easy to achieve, given what I've just explained. But I think it's important and I think it's got to be the goal and it's going to got to be the aim. Um, so that's where I'm at. You know, I think that there is obviously when you achieve something, the pressure increases. Does it buy you goodwill? Yes. Does it buy you brownie points? Yes. Does it buy you a bit more time in some instances, particularly as a manager? I think it does. But the flip side of that is that with great achievements come far greater pressures. And you think about Mikel Arteta coming in um, in December uh, when he joined the club and then taking us on to win the FA Cup in the COVID season, um, you know, that raised the level, didn't it? That everybody thought we were going to be at. And I think that was a hugely contributing factor in why people felt that last season, which it was, was very underwhelming. And, and as I say, it was underwhelming. But the fact that we'd won the FA Cup, it had almost accelerated in a lot of people's minds how good this team are and, and where this team were in, their ter in terms of their development. Look at how many players that were in that team are no longer part of the, the sort of starting eleven anymore. It's it. There's a lot. There's a fair few of them, and um, and that shows you that we were right at the beginning of the process, and um, and now when we you know we we can't compare objectives that we had under Arsene Wenger in two thousand and eight two thousand and nine to the objectives that we have now because they're incomparable because the landscape is different.
right? And and that's a really key point, I think. Um, what else have we got? Uh, lots of you sort of um, commenting on that point. Um, here we go. Uh, Matt Buenguzzi <laughs> says, uh, why do you hate TT so much? Referring to Thierry Henry. I don't. I don't in the slightest. I just don't think he's a very good pundit. I'd love the, I love the guy and I'd love to sit down and talk to him about his career and about some of the excellent stories from his career and about what it takes mentally to be an elite level athlete and perform at that level week in, week out and become one of the all-time greats. But I don't care for much. Um, I don't care much for, I should say, his opinions on issues like William Saliba. And I didn't care much for when he was talking about the direction in which the club is going because it suited his agenda as part of Daniel X consortium. So you'll have to forgive me for, for being able to separate Thierry Henry, the player and the pundit. I think if a lot more people did that, you'd actually recognize and realize that while some of what he says um, has credence, a lot of it doesn't as well. And there are a lot of like, there's loads of people like that. Like there was, um, you know, I get it. People say, some people say to me that what I say is, is complete and utter shit. And they make no bones about that. And they'll let me know on social media. Some of them even come and let me know when I go to Emirates. That people come up to me and say, you chat shit, you know, on uh, on your podcast. And fine. You disagree. That's okay. You're allowed to disagree with me. Um, you can still respect me as a person, even if you disagree with me. And this thing about, oh, you know, if you disagree with him, you must hate him. It's complete nonsense. It's this whole extreme culture that world that we live in like you're either one way or the other and you can't be moderate you can't be in the middle it drives me up the bloody wall um anyway uh halo mateus says does the story and trajectory of everton show how bad things can end up for, for arsenal if things ain't going according to plan is it possible i think that we were heading in the direction of everton not in the sense of we were going to get relegated because while Arsene Wenger was at the club, we were never going to get relegated. He was that good um, or at least good enough to maintain a certain standard. Now that standard gradually dropped, didn't it? Over a period of time, some of it through no fault of his own, given the circumstances under which he was working. But what I mean by the fact that we were on that same path is that we were overpaying for players that simply weren't worth it, that we were running out of ideas in the transfer market that we didn't really have a manager that was moving with the times. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you can quite quickly fall into this spiral and be sucked up into it and end up somewhere like wherever tonight. So um, there's always that danger. There's always that worry. Um, but I don't feel like we're moving that way under, um, under Mikel Arteta. Let's see what else we've got. Um, Juno says on Omri's comments that he always finds them the, the timing of them a little bit off. Yeah, I mean, it's like, if it were me, right, if I were a pundit and I was standing there and, and somebody asked me about William Saliba and, and the situation at Arsenal, I, I don't think it would be fair to overlook what's happened in the past. So I would probably say something along the lines of, look, and, 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 and Omri did say a lot of this. I would say something along the lines of, look, He's come here. He's done brilliant things. He's looking really good. He looks much improved. I think he's proven to everybody at Arsenal that he has something to offer. He's had call-ups from the French national team, which tells you all you need to know. He's 
been nominated for the Young Player of the Month award in Liga. And he is definitely on the right path. Now it's between him and Arsenal to thrash out what happens with his future and whether or not he has a future at that football club. But it's it, it's it's the way he tries to dramatise the situation in some of the, the phrases and some of the terminology that he uses to make it out like, you know, I, I really feel for him. I, I don't know what happened. Like It's like he tries to make it a bigger deal than it actually is. And a lot of pundits do that. And it goes back to what I was saying on the show earlier today. These are people who are trying, who are being paid to generate sound bites. That's what they're doing. You know, I've seen it a lot lately. I've seen there be a massive shift in media from maybe live concurrent listeners to clips, you know, shorts, breakdowns of of longer form content that can be chucked up on YouTube with a um, an interesting headline and go viral just like that. Can be posted on Twitter, you know, where you're only allowed to put, what, two minute, 20 clip tops um, and then it can be spread around like wildfire. And you'd be surprised how quickly these things can spread and, and get around. These things happen and people consume these things. And so the media companies are going to encourage it. And I do honestly think that a lot of the pundits, when they do, in my opinion, slightly sensationalize what they're saying, are doing it because they want to go bang. The more people are interested in what I have to say, the more people that want to hire me, the higher fee I can charge the more desirable I am to those media companies looking to recruit talent. It's it's all part of the game. And I'm allowed to disagree with something that an Arsenal legend says. And I do disagree in this instance with Thierry Henry's, I think, how do I put this? I don't think he's wrong in that the way he was treated by Arsenal. Saliba, that is, was wrong in a lot of ways. But it always feels like with Thierry Henry, he's always wanting to have a stab at the club. He's always wanting to have a little jab, have a little something at the club. And and I don't really think that if I were a legend of a football club, I would want to do too often. This is not like a, you know, Arsenal are on course to finish in the top four this season as things stand. This is not like a major issue. We haven't struggled defensively all season. We haven't been without centre-halves all season. And we've got William Saliba out there playing for someone else, pulling up trees and being brilliant. He hasn't been flawless. He's he's not been amazing all of the time. And we've been fine in that department this season, generally speaking. So I don't think that this situation warrants the um warrants the size of the reaction that we're getting from ex-players, but also from a lot of fans. He is, of course, entitled to an opinion, and I would never say that he's not. Everybody is. Everybody that invests anything, whether that be time, emotion, whatever, into this football club, money, then you are within your rights to have an opinion. But I think when you've got his platform, there's a a greater responsibility to be well thought out in what you say, to be educated in what you say, and to not stir up crap when it doesn't really need to be stirred up. So that's, that's my opinion. Anyway... Okay, look, we're going to leave it there um, because we've uh, we've run a little bit over, but I will be back tomorrow uh, with some more content. We'll be back tomorrow on the 90 Min channel as well for the fans preview show. Uh, looking forward to that. And we'll be looking ahead during that show to Arsenal's game against Leeds at the weekend, as well as uh, Liverpool Spurs, uh, which takes place on Saturday night. Big, big game for us at that one. So lots and lots to get into. Right. I will catch you all very, very soon. Until next time. 
Take care of yourselves and stay safe. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.